The child whom God Most High sent ahead as the herald of his salvation is the one who, will, who we will be reading about this morning. So, in connection with that, we'll be reading from Luke 1, the verses 57 to 80. And you'll be able to find that on page 1178 of your pew Bible. Luke chapter 1, the verses 57 to 80. Now Elizabeth's full time came for her to be delivered, and she brought forth a son. When her neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. So it was on the eighth day that they came to circumcise the child, and they would have called him by the name of his father, Zacharias. His mother answered and said, No, he shall be called John. But they said to her, There is no one among your relatives who is called by this name. So they made signs to his father what he would have him called. And he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, saying, His name is John. So they all marveled. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue loosed, and he spoke, praising God. Then fear came on all those who dwelt around them, And all these sayings were discussed throughout all the hill country of Judea. And all those who heard them kept them in their hearts, saying, What kind of child will this be? And the hand of the Lord was with him. Now his father, Zacharias, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed is the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David, as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, who have been since the world began, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to perform the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath which he swore to our father Abraham, to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all the days of our life. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the highest, for you will go before the face of the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people by the remission of their sins. Through the tender mercy of our God, with which the day spring from on high has visited us, to give light to those who sit in darkness and the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. So the child grew and became strong in spirit and was in the deserts till the day of his manifestation to Israel. So far the word of God. For today we'll be focusing in particular on those first verses, the verses 57 to 66. As we come to this next passage, beloved congregation, in the days leading up to the celebration of Christ's birth, what are your thoughts on this? So far we've been diving into this first chapter of Luke. We've been going through one section of narrative after another. And perhaps those of you who have been here for a number of weeks are thinking, 
Okay, Luke, we get it. It was an unusual series of events that led up to the birth of Christ. But why do we have another one? More than that, this particular event doesn't even talk about Christ. It just doesn't seem as important as the other ones. But to take such a view would be to miss something. It would be to miss the work of God, the grace of God, and the power of the Holy Spirit in the lives of these people, Zacharias and Elizabeth. It would be to miss the fact that God not only works in the broad scope of history, He doesn't just take a bird's eye view over history. Moving nations and peoples. But God also works in the little things. God also works in the little people. He cares about the aged and those who are not. He cares about those who are in need. Those who are downtrodden. God is a God who cares. Now that doesn't mean that we don't face suffering. It doesn't mean that God won't allow troubles in our path. It doesn't mean he won't put difficulties into our path. But what we see here today is that through his Holy Spirit, God shapes and forms individuals through these events. He cares about individuals and he leads them to glorify him as well. So today we'll look at that passage under this theme. Through his Spirit, God fulfills his promise to Zacharias and leads this family to praise. And we'll see the initial joy, we'll see faithful responses, and we'll see a dual response of fear and joy. You'll notice just before our passage here that Mary, who has been with Elizabeth for her final trimester, has just left. Elizabeth, as we know, has put herself into self-imposed seclusion once she's figured out that she was pregnant. Zacharias can't speak, so he's not saying anything. We know that from his first time in the temple. The angel appeared to him and said that he would have a son, and he doubted the word of the angel. Partly in response and partly as a punishment for his unbelief, the angel said that he would not be able to speak until the day these things take place. Because, the angel says, you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their own time. Nothing is exiting this household. They are a couple that needs help. And so Mary has been there to take care of Elizabeth, her relative. But now the time comes for the child to be born, and Mary left. We don't know if she left before or after the child's birth, but it does seem apparent that she left before the circumcision itself. Why would this happen? Why does Christ exit the scene here? We can see up to this point that Luke has been deliberately contrasting the two children. In the way that he's been describing what historically happened, he was showing that Christ was the superior child in every way. But now, Mary doesn't take the time to share in the joy and celebration in the birth of Zacharias and Elizabeth's son. You would think this is a great opportunity for this demonstration of the superiority of the one son to take place, but she takes a step back. 
The reason for this was that in the birth of John, the lesser might not be outshone by the greater. It was not the time for Christ to be revealed. Eventually, God would remove the veil and put his son publicly on display before the world. But that time was not now. John was the messenger who would prepare the way of the Lord in the hearts of his people. And even in his birth, he would get people to start thinking more about the glory and the mercy of God. But his work was not done yet. God had years of work that he wanted to carry out through this child, John the baptizer, before he would reveal his son. And so he quietly removed his son from the scene. Mary, although joyful for Elizabeth, doesn't play a role in the scene that follows. Having left, however, Mary has not left Elizabeth completely alone. No, in fact, it seems that the whole community has turned out for this remarkable birth. We read, when Elizabeth's neighbors and relatives heard how the Lord had shown great mercy to her, they rejoiced with her. This is the mark of a strong spiritual community in which Elizabeth finds herself. In our society and cultures, such a turnout would be unusual for a birth. But it's not only good to do this, it's commanded. God wants his people to be a tight-knit community, and so he directs them in the words of Romans 12 verse 15, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. It's fitting to gather with each other and support each other, not just in times of sorrow, but also in times of joy. Do we gather together and celebrate the good things with each other, not just as friends or family, not just as our individual cliques and groups, but as a church family, as a community of God? It's a good and spiritual thing to do together. You'll notice, though, that it's not just the fact that Elizabeth has a baby that they're celebrating. What are the exact words that we find here? We read in verse 58 that the reason for their joy is that God has shown great mercy to Elizabeth. God had blessed Elizabeth so richly by granting her, this aged woman, what she had prayed for all these years. And this is the appropriate note for those who come together to rejoice with their community. God's loving action sets the tone for celebration. Struck by the unusual nature of this birth, the fact that two elderly people have been able to celebrate the birth of this child after years of barrenness, the people rejoice. What a great and glorious God we have, they say. As a spiritual community, This can be an example to us when we gather together and we celebrate each other's joys and achievements. That in these times we can turn our hearts to our God. And now we can sing praise to him, saying what a great and glorious God we have. The rejoicing And well-wishing, as mentioned, reaches a climax in a passage with the circumcision of a child. But it's at this point that a moment of conflict arises as well. And that conflict surrounds the name of the baby. 
If you'll remember, a little over nine months prior to this, the angel Gabriel has appeared to Zacharias to tell him that he would have a son. Zacharias doubted, despite the fact that this was an angel who had appeared to him from heaven, still reflecting the glory of the throne room of God. His struggle was, how could this be possible? How could this be physically possible that a barren, an elderly couple could have a child? You older couples in the congregation may have some sympathy for this line of questioning. Can you imagine suddenly being told that you'll be expecting a child right now? But Zechariah was rebuked for his doubt. And he was given a sign that would cause him much trouble and distress over the next nine months. As proof that the Lord's word was true, he was told he would be mute until the child was born. And so he was. But even through this, we see the mercy of God, beloved. God didn't condemn Zacharias because of his doubt. He didn't say, okay, you didn't believe I could give you a child, well then I won't give you one. No, he came through despite Zechariah's doubt. As he so often does with us, despite our doubt. And here's where the situation becomes particularly beautiful. Zechariah's doubt led to the Lord's chastening, as it so often does with us. But it did not lead to the Lord's casting him off. The Lord had every right to, but he showed mercy and love. During the long months of Zacharias' silence, his muteness, the Lord was working in his heart through his spirit. The Lord was transforming this man through his chastisement and through his weakness and bringing him to a point of obedient faithfulness. And we can see this in two ways in the verses that follow. You can see A pious and faithful response, first of all, in the very fact that they bring their child to be circumcised. This wasn't just a question of custom or superstition for them. We know from Luke 1 verse 6 that they were faithful servants of God. And they were faithful in this too. They were bringing their child to God out of obedience and trust in God's covenant promises. But it's not there alone that we see the Holy Spirit at work. In order to make this most clear for us, God sets the scene for the ultimate demonstration of His loving mercy to this couple. And it begins with the naming of the child. Interestingly enough, most people would have expected this child to be named already. Most children in the Old Testament were named at birth. It wasn't completely unheard of to wait with the naming of a child, but it was much more common to name your child at birth. This is perhaps why so many of the people showed up with a name in mind. Of course they haven't published his name, these people are thinking. It's so obvious what the name of this baby is going to be that it goes without saying. His dad is someone who's respected in the community who served in the temple, and who even had the privilege recently of bringing incense before the Lord. With such a respected parent, clearly the baby will be named after him. 
This was more common. You chose a respected parent or uncle or aunt or grandparent, and you named your child after that person. But that wasn't the case in this situation. And here we see the second faithful response, this in the naming of the child. You parents may remember the difficulty of choosing a name that you think would be okay for your kids. I'm sure there were heaps of names that you considered and discarded because you wondered, well, it's a nice name, but what would other people think? What kind of nickname could he or she get? Would other people be able to make fun of him or her? That's a bit of social pressure right there. Now imagine all of your friends and your neighbors coming around assuming that your child will be named a particular name, even though you have another in mind. We read, they would have called him Zacharias. The Greek puts it even more insistently. They were calling him Zacharias. The crowd agrees that this will be his name. But Elizabeth remains faithful, even in the face of all of that pressure. She knows what the angel commanded. This child came according to the word of the Lord, and so she'll name him what God commanded him to be named. She answers them quite forcefully. No, his name shall be called John. Now for her to do this in the face of everyone was quite shocking. It was something which simply wasn't done. And so they respond, there's, there's no one among your relatives who's called this name. Why would you do this? And then, as if she made this decision behind Zechariah's back, and he wasn't able to follow what was going on, they appeal to Zechariah himself. And what follows is actually quite funny. Have you ever been in another country and had someone who speaks English trying to get something across to someone who clearly doesn't? They speak slower and louder when obviously the problem is not the volume, but the speech barrier. We find something similar here. They start to sign to Zechariah. Zechariah's problem is not his ears, it never was. But here they are trying to do sign language to a man whose only problem is that he can't answer them in response. He signs for them to get him something to write on. It says here he asked for something to write on. He made a gesture for something to write on. Once they do, he responds in a way that shocks them and causes them to marvel at what it might mean. Just as emphatically as his wife, he states his name is John. No, it's not his name will be John, but his name is John. That's what the angel named him. That's the name that God had chosen for him even before he was born. His reply indicated complete obedience and complete submission to God's message. See the grace of God at work in this believer's life, brothers and sisters. He was a believer who had suffered so much disappointment over the years with regards to having children that when God declared he would have them, he responded with disbelief. He was a man who, as a consequence, was made mute 
in an action that was a sign and a chastisement at once. But it was not pointless chastisement. For we read in Proverbs 3 verse 12, For whom the Lord loves, he corrects, just as a father, the son in whom he delights. His chastisement worked in him a harvest of righteousness that burst dams that had once been imposed on his speech up to that time. And in the power of his spirit, his heart overflowed with praise and with joy. We read in verse 64 that the moment that he had finished writing, his name will be John, and showed it to everybody there. Immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue was loosed, and he spoke, praising God. All of the months leading up to this moment had prepared him for this. And words of praise burst out from him. Brothers and sisters, we know that for those who believe in Jesus Christ, they will be saved. Yet we recognize that sometimes even so, for those who wander away or for those who doubt God, God sometimes chastises us corrects us in order to let us grow, to let us grow closer in faith to him, to shape and to form us. Do we recognize this as his mercy towards us? This is important. During these times, do we recognize this as his mercy towards us? Or do we only see this as a burden that's been placed on us? Do we recognize our advancement in grace during these times? When something we recognize as God's chastisement is lifted from us, what a reason for rejoicing this should be. The first words out of our mouth should be to the praise of God. He is the one who led us through a dry and weary land that we might satisfy ourselves at the springs of his mercy and cry out with the words of Zechariah to his son that God is the one who brings knowledge of his salvation to his people by the remission of their sins, by the forgiveness of their sins, through the tender mercy of our God. Immediately we see a twofold response to what happens, fear and discussion. Fear might seem an odd response, but it's a common response for those who have witnessed heavenly intervention in earthly events. And there was no question of the unusual nature of what had come to pass. First, an elderly couple have had a child. Second, the child receives a name that sets him apart. And third, the silence of Zechariah is suddenly removed. This man who you're used to seeing as silent for months on end, suddenly speaks how this should have startled them. And he responds with praise to the God who released him. What are they to think? For many of them, in the face of such startling events, the very name of John could give them comfort. John's name means God is gracious. And in the events that have come to pass, they have indeed witnessed the grace of God to this couple. In the remarkable events surrounding the birth of their child, there's certainly room for hope that God's grace will be evident to them. 
through this child as well. And so their fear gives way to hope. We read in verse 65 that everything that had come to pass was discussed among the people in that region. And this hope that they have in the evidence of God's grace is stored up in their hearts. And the language that's used here is similar to the language that's used for Mary when she sees the wise men come, when she sees the shepherds come out from the fields. She treasures up all of these things in her heart. They'll be keeping their eye on this remarkable child in the future years. What will the Lord bring to pass through him? God, through his Spirit, is already preparing the hearts of his people. When the Messiah comes, following in the footsteps of John, the forerunner, the soil that the seeds of the preaching of the kingdom landed in will be fertile. The way of Jesus is being prepared. As for the house of Zechariah, there's only rejoicing. There's no fear. God has been faithful. God has been gracious. God has been merciful. And so their house is filled with joy. Their trust in him has been affirmed, and for that, they will praise him all their lives. Brothers and sisters, today, as with every Sunday, we come together in worship to meet with the one who is the giver of life, the one who is the source of joy, and the one who has the power to heal. In this passage today, we've seen how he's also the one whose word has come to pass. By the power of his spirit, he has guided this one man, Zacharias, to submit in trust to God's promise. His period of pain and reflection lead him to realize that God is a God who does what he says. And that's what leads him to praise. That's what leads him to sing his song, the song that we've already sung here in hymn 18. Glorifying God for his great works and his promised salvation. This message was what the son of John, what his son John later carried with him into the wilderness as well. Preaching in the desert, clothed in camel skin, and eating wild honey. He called the people to repent, for God's promises were about to come to pass. Crowds came out to see him. Countless numbers were brought to repentance, and their hearts were prepared to put their trust in the only one who could bring them comfort in their sorrows, healing for their souls and salvation from their sins. Brothers and sisters, how much more today should we rejoice, having our hearts prepared by the Holy Spirit, especially since it has come to pass that it's not just this promise that we're looking forward to that is coming, but it's something that has already happened that has come to pass. God has sent his son, the one who brings comfort in sorrows, the one who brings healing for souls, the one who brings salvation for sins. And this is a reality for us today. Open your hearts to his work and bend the knee to his infinite wisdom during his time of chastening and shaping you. 
submit and trust to his promise and realize that God is a God who does what he says. And having done all of that, when the time comes, rejoice. Rejoice together in the amazing things that God has brought to pass and that God continues to bring to pass even today. Amen.